Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings everybody and welcome to this episode of the Stargate Archives. I am joined tonight by Thomas. Hello. How are you, Thomas? I'm good, and yourself, sir? Not too bad at all. Thank you for joining me. It was on reasonably short notice. I had a week off work, so I messaged a couple of people to see if they were interested, and Thomas said he was. So I gave him the choice of any episode of Stargate. Any episode from the live-action series. Obviously, as you can figure out, that means that Infinity is out of the window. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. So, Thomas, welcome, and what did you choose? I chose the last episode of the actual series themselves, uh, Star Universe Gauntlet. An interesting choice. So, if you haven't watched Stargate Universe, uh, this is probably not the podcast episode to listen to. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you haven't, then by all means, do so. Don't let some of the negative reviews, especially of the early first season, put you off. This is an excellent series. Yeah, Universe had its struggles first season, but it got a heck of a lot better. I, I'm sad it did get into, ended up being cancelled. Yeah. We can hope for a, a relaunch sometime, maybe? I don't know what MGM are doing, but it is so annoying when you see properties, intellectual properties getting remade, redone, hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on uh, new properties, and you're looking at Stargate and you think... This is a proven franchise. This has still got mm -hmm. an active fan base. Why isn't somebody oh, yeah. doing something with it? Yeah. I mean, heck, you picked up, or Amazon, or Netflix picked up um, Lost in Space, which hadn't been done in, like, what, almost 20 years. Yeah. And they did something with it. Get Target going. Come on. You've got the opportunity. A lot of people would like to see some sort of continuation. I am mm -hmm. not going to be that fussy. I just want somebody to take the premise of Stargate, even if they spin it out in a different direction. I just want to see somebody try something. I can get behind that. I don't know. Some, some about me at the moment, you know, I love X-Files, but I haven't watched any of the, you know, the new seasons. I loved Twin Peaks. I haven't watched any of the new season. Veronica Mars, fantastic. I haven't watched the new season. I don't want to go back and try to recapture what I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, I always think I'm gonna be I'm gonna feel let down, and that's a, a big fear I, I have is if somebody does pick up, you know, Stargate, are we going to be provided something that's substandard and just does not meet up with our expectations? We've seen it's very easy to ruin a TV show, even with the best intentions. Yeah, I mean, Sci-Fi did a great job in picking up SG One when it did and running with it, and it. It was a fantastic series, and great job in the two spin-off series that they did with it. Would MGM pick it up and go with it, or would it be better in somebody else's hands? I mean, hopefully, there is a lot of things going on behind the scenes, and one day we'll uh, go onto the internet, and there will be a big trade announcement that uh, the green light's been given for a, a new series on mm -hmm. whatever network. Yeah. Well, ho hopefully not Sci-Fi Channel. Or... I think we do at, at least want uh, a decent budget. Yeah. No, no, we don't need B-movie status here. We need a decent series. <laughs> oh, I, I watched Zombie Tidal Wave last week. <laughs> it was, I enjoyed it. I'm sorry, I enjoyed it. Are, are those still some of your favorites, the B-movies and sci-fi? I, like I like a bad B-movie if it's done well. Believe it or not, there are movies that 
five minutes in you think this is not going to be good because the production is not there the passion isn't there other films you think they're trying they may not have the money they may not have the special effects budget but the actors are, are committed and it's just fun okay then a few details for gauntlet written by joseph Malotsi and paul mullin and directed by andy makita premiered in the u.s may the 9th 2011 also in canada on the same night germany may the 12th sweden november the 5th and for the love of me i can't remember when it premiered in the uk i'm trying to find that information on online is incredibly difficult because you, you do a, a general search and you come up with all the times it was actually on television or when mm -hmm. it's going to be coming on television not actually the original air date and even though i watched it when it was broadcast i can't remember when it was on either you slept since then that's it yeah <laughs> right then as thomas says this was the very final broadcast episode of stargate put aside origins because that hasn't been on a network as such mm-hmm and, as you would expect, the previously on is quite extensive. Yeah, it picks up and covers a lot from the second season. Yes, we get little flashbacks of uh, Rush being criticised for not telling anybody he had control of Destiny. Young admitting that he killed poor old Riley. References to the Lucian attack, the pods being discovered, TJ's ALS, the drones, all sorts of stuff. I do love the um, the scene where... They confront uh, Rush about having control of it, you know, and Eli's like, you had this control the entire time and you didn't tell us? Yeah, that's it. And ultimately, it did lead to command decisions, which led to people's deaths. Yeah. Riley may not, that shuttle may not have crashed. Riley may not have died if Rush had told people his ability to control the destiny. But did he have full control was the other question. I, I don't remember if it was full control at that time, because I know he was still sorting out some things yeah the great thing about rush is that we know he has, he's got a huge ego mm. even though he you know well that's one thing that we'll see later in the episode even though he, he brought eli into the fold because eli solved the great puzzle he really didn't want to let anybody steal his thunder if yeah. he had opened let's let that i've got partial control the bridge is here who knows what eli might have been able to do you know in a much shorter space of time or chloe yeah, and I think it was before it was revealed that he had full control, or may have been after, I, I, I can't remember, where Eli and, oh, the doctor um, were testing out the stasis pods, and he activated one whenever um, he was in there. Yeah. That was in the flashback, and it comes to be a big thing in this episode. One of the little things, the dynamic between Volker and Brody and those pair and pretty much everybody was one of the comedic driving forces of the second season. Yeah. Yeah, the casting of those two was perfection. And the writers really, really uh, went for time at times. We all remember the uh, the 2001 music and the every time they put a torch into Brody's hand. <laughs> uh, great stuff. Right, the episode starts off proper in the infirmary. You may recall, or may not, that Dr. Park suffered serious eye damage when she was trapped in the, the Arboretum during the trip through the star. Yeah, she was trying to get specimens and ended up getting blinded. That was a tough moment. It was a favoured character. For a moment, it looked like she would die, but she was clever. She buried herself into uh, one of the pools, survived, but, of course, huge amount of eye damage. They're actually unveiling, taking the bandages off her eyes at this point. There's not a lot that TJ can do. It's I hope that the, uh, the eyes themselves uh, are not too badly damaged. Yeah. You would have thought maybe to prevent damage to her eyes, she may have gone face down in the water. 
instead of face up, you know, the common sense, but yeah. I suppose there are times that the light is so intense, it really doesn't matter what you do. It's going to just, gonna, it's off, literally off the scale. It's like, uh, I suppose you can't even compare it to uh, being five miles away from a nuclear blast and just turning, mm. turning your back to it and being okay. The light is literally, you're that close to the light source. It is 360 all around you, no matter where you look. You cover your eyes, you know, even with the helmet on, you, the light, the photons are going to blast straight through your skin. Yeah, and you they were inside a sun, so, yeah. 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 Unfortunately, they removed the bandages and there's no improvement at all. And unfortunately, the medical equipment on board Destiny is even at this point still of limited use. Yeah, I don't think they've been able to figure out what everything does yet or how to necessarily use it. And it's not quite as up-to-date and advanced as Atlantis technology. Certainly not as user-friendly. Mm-hmm. You don't just get somebody with a, the gene, touch it, here we go, the menus pop up. Oh, great, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Surely by the time Atlantis was nearing its height, they had had something to maybe regenerate tissue in the eyes or something of that nature. Well, I'm going to say it's impossible to say really how technology breakthroughs are spread throughout the scientific field. They don't always go hand in hand. The yeah. ancients may have built fantastic spaceships, FTL technology shields, reasonable weapons at that point their medical technology may not have been that advanced until they mm-hmm. turned their full focus on ascension and really really got to down on unraveling their existence that is true so much that this franchise could delve into mm-hmm. you know and little thought so if the descendants of destiny had come up with a cure for als would the ancients may not have, and now mind you, they weren't the same group, but would the ancients may not have, over the time that they've been in existence, come up with some cure? So it should have been in the Atlantis database, Atlantis database? You would have thought so. I mean, that would only kind of make sense. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, the ancients had the depository of knowledge. You've got to wonder exactly, was that their entire database? Or was it just spread out amongst hundreds of worlds? For plot point and storytelling, there's always little holes that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the plot can jump down and go, oh, well, never mind. This might be one of them. It might have been, you know, all sorts of that in the third season. It might it might have not. They might have decided to go with Park learning to adjust to her, her limitations. Yeah. Could have been an interesting storyline. Right, we jump to Camille and Young. They go into the control interface room where they are finally figured out how to track the drone command ships using Destiny's long-range sensors. Yeah, Eli and Rush have improved things, as always. Yes, and uh, it's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. Every gate from here to the edge of the galaxy, and I'm assuming they also took over, or at least set up at every sun that Destiny could recharge at. I know that was the issue a previous episode or two before, was that every star had been blockaded, but now yep. we're also blockading the gate. So that's a lot of command ships out there. You've got to wonder where they're coming from and where they're being produced. Well, if the idea is that, you know, the drones were some sort of ultimate doomsday weapon, then perhaps we're not talking thousands, we're talking millions made for a war that we can't even begin to imagine the scope of. Yeah. Who made them? Like, where's their point of origin? (laughs) Uh, That's a good question. And to sum this up, we're screwed. Yeah, most definitely. Can't resupply the ship, can't resupply us. And, of course, still no way to resupply from back home. The only bit of good news, you've got a warning of what's waiting for you. So, yeah. 
that may or may not help. Right, we jump to the SGC, or no, sorry, it won't, it won't be the oh, Homeworld home, Command, home, won't it? Yeah, Homeworld Command, yeah. Homeworld Command, yep. Communication stones, young Russian Telford are making a visit. Telford is giving him the bad news that Kelowna, after, well... Alangara. I thought it was Kelowna was the capital. Maybe. Yeah, it's the Langaran planet that they couldn't get the, yeah. get access to the gate. After their betrayal, or sleight of hand that they tried to pull off, Yeah. why would they help? <laughs> would oh they yeah, help? subterfuge much? Oh, this won't blow up our world. Mm, 90%. <laughs> well, no, you're not doing it then. <laughs> we've, we've got blankets and trinkets. No. <laughs> <laughs> just give McKay there. I mean, he'll just make it all blow up. Yeah, that was always one thing. I'm, there must be other worlds out there. There must be. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah, there has to be. Because we've had that one and then whatever the planet was called in the first one. There's got to be others where... Was it the Naquadria or, or what specifically in the planet that allowed the dialing? I can't remember from episode one. Yeah, it was Nequadria. It had kind of naturally or artificially propagated itself through the planet and became basically just a big generator. Well, so let's find a planet that is rich in Naquita and let's supercharge that stuff to where it becomes a Quadria and let's go to town. Yeah, you'd think maybe, you know, the Tokra with their crystalline technology might be helpful there. It might take a couple of years, but that's one, one method to uh, actually follow. And one we sadly didn't look into. Maybe in the third season. Maybe, but we may never know. I seem to recall a Gatecast episode where Alan told me off I keep saying, and maybe in the third season. <laughs> it's coming, coming back to me. <laughs> right, we're back in the infirmary. Chloe is with TJ, talking about Park. Of course, subject goes uh, on to TJ in ALS. TJ is uh, putting on a brave face, you know, some, some things you can't do anything about, you know. You've just got to live with it. That's it. Wish they had come up with something like that, you know, maybe they could have, again, as mentioned before, something with the Atlantis database, maybe when one of their communications back, they had said, hey, we found something in the Atlantis database, let's do this, you know, help resolve that, or maybe just made it a big point of writing out TJ's character. Well, that's it. I thought after what they revealed in Epilogue, you know, that race, the Novus, uh, the people of Novus, actually built generation ships and went to the stars. They are probably still out there, and they are sublight. Or have they been taken out by the um, the drones? I've always believed that because the drones pretty much detect huge energy spikes through gate use and FTL, that a sublight ship may go undetected, unless they are very, very unlucky and just happen to be in the same star system. Yeah, it would have been something they could have done in that season. You know, should we just a quick search on? You know, we've got a rough idea what direction, what stars they were headed for. How about a nice sublight jaunt or a jump? And we have these new improved sensors that we can detect where the drones are, so maybe we can find some way to improve them to detect other ships? Yep, could be. And I can't remember, so correct me here if I'm wrong, but the survivors that they'd found on the previous planet, they were taking them back to their home planet when they determined it was non-livable and about to explode. So they're still on Destiny, correct? We never actually saw them leave, let's put it that way. So, I mean, there's a possibility, because, yeah, because I don't remember if they got... I don't think they dropped them off because, again, they found out the planet hey, is not livable and it's about to explode. So I'm assuming they're still on Destiny. So that's an entire new blood that they could infuse into uh, the cast if they'd gone on for a third season. Yeah, because their colony world got attacked by the drones. So again, yeah, another... To say this was the season finale 
And at the time, they didn't know it was a series finale. They put a lot of little things in that they could have expanded upon if required. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Right, we jumped to the bridge. Half the cast is there. <laughs> Spitballing some ideas of uh, what they should do about the drones. One idea is that they sort everything, jump into the system, open up with everything they got, defeat the command ship, raid the planet or use the, the local gate to jump to another planet. Not a great idea, because you're going to take damage every time. Oh yeah, and, and that's where they come up with the idea of, well, let's fine tune the shields for the specific frequency of their weapons. And then we see what happens with that. Yeah. Oh, what a damn shame one of them didn't say, well, it worked in Star Trek. <laughs> well, I think they fine-tuned their weapons to get through the shields, not shields to block the weapon. Against the Borg, they, they, yeah, they cycled that, and the Jura sisters used Geordie to you know, get the shield frequency of the Enterprise. Yeah, I blanked on the Borg for a second. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It wasn't a great movie, but I do recall the line, does this engineer never actually go to engineering? <laughs> That's the Enterprise for you. <laughs> yeah. The Rice yeah. didn't go meet up with Holodeck, what's her name? The, the... Oh, Leah. Yeah, Leah, Leah Brahms. He's having a holograph affair with a married woman. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he wasn't always an engineer. He was Helm. He was a pilot. Yeah. He got promoted to chief engineer. Funny how that happens. Right, so they've got an idea. They can fine-tune the shields to block the energy-based weapons of the drones. The only drawback is that they are vulnerable to anything else. Which they are. And it comes to bite them. Big time. Back on the bridge, they've got the main weapons ready. The shields are all set. Chloe is calculating the FTL jump. Yeah, she's dangerous with her math and where to drop in you would have thought though if we're going to try to ambush them and knock them out in the first hit we're not going to literally drop out on top of them you know drop out maybe half a dozen clicks back so you can get a good shot off first and then peer off not oh my gosh i gotta peer off right now i wonder if her maths were just too good she might have given herself too much margin of error mm -hmm. you know thinking it's, it's either going to pinpointing right on top of them Plus or minus 10 kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, a mass, a mass was virtually spot on. They jump out of FTL within spitting distance of the drone ship. So the yeah. first thing they've got to do is swing the helm around and just get out of the way. And that gives time for the command ship to launch all their drones and for the assault to attack. Where if we come in with a gun blazing right at the first and been able to knock it out, would have been a little less dramatic, a little less, oh, well, why did we do this when we're getting bombarded, literally, by kamikaze drones? Yeah. A nice scene. As always, the CGI is exceptional. The action is hectic, powerful. Everything's working at the moment. You know, the energy blasts are dissipating against the shields. Everything's going fine until one of the, you know, some of the consoles start blowing up, thinking, what's going on, what's going on? And we realize that, well, the drones are just kamikaze in them. Mm -hmm. Quick thinking by the, the drone's AI. Yeah. Yeah, if you can't get through one way, let's get through another way. And we've seen it happen in World War II with Japanese pilots, so well, let's do it here too. Yep. They managed to finally destroy the drone ship. Like I say, it takes a, a couple of volleys to do it, but they managed to. They launched the shuttles, and unfortunately they don't really get a lot for the trouble. Yeah, that's unfortunate because they were hoping for a big score and didn't. Yeah, that's one of the problems with the uh, the seed ships. They're not they're not sending back really accurate data on the planets because they're just flying on, drop a gate, and off they go. 
all you know is that it's habitable. I kind of had to wonder how they're dropping the gates on the planets. Like, you know, are they literally stop, make a gate, send it down? Is like, is it teleported down or what? And if we had, if Telford, when he brought his gate ship or his seat ship back, was that the seat ship that was going in front of Destiny? So would there be gates further along? But I guess they have multiple gates on the same or multiple ships on the same trajectory. Yeah, I've always got the impression that seat ships were plural. I suppose there's only one Destiny, but you could have support multiple support ships just in case. Yeah. Third of the size, a lot less complicated. Yeah, but if we're taking one out of the equation, then there's got to be now a, I don't know, a gap in the the trajectory. I, I'm, it always wonder, it always made me wonder what didn't get done because Telford brought that seed ship back. Maybe they were able to communicate with each other, their AIs on board, and uh, put a bit of more onus on whatever seed ships were remaining. Or yeah. maybe they just tightened up the suitability of planets, planets that would have got a gate didn't anymore. Maybe. Planets which had dinosaurs on, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Still one of the best scenes in the, in the show. <laughs> Compare that to the dinosaur in SG-1. Well, Yeah. yeah, A little, little more scary in SGU, definitely. Right, we are... I think we're in Young's cabin, and Eli is with him. Eli... Eli's not the... I would say timid, shy, uncertain... Reserved? Maybe, yeah. He's certainly not that anymore, because he, he's almost showing Young no respect at all. You know, oh, we've sod this, you know, we'll just just jump galaxies, you know. And I think at this point, Young is thinking, you know, see on we. <laughs> well, at this point, Young probably hadn't slept in about a week and a half. So he's probably, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because every time he goes to take a break, you know, every time he goes to at least take a nap, he gets interrupted by somebody. Because literally, I think Eli comes to the door when Rush had just taken off his shoes and he was about to lay back. He's like, come in. And then Eli's bringing on this problem. So, oh, there he goes again. Yep, and this is a doozy from Eli. As he points out that they're only about a third of the way through this galaxy. The drone ships are everywhere. We have limited energy, limited resources. Why not jump out of this galaxy and make for the next one? Mm-hmm. A few drawbacks. The void between the galaxies is a lot bigger than other galaxies. We're, again, two-thirds of this galaxy we re- we need to get out of. But I've done the math. It'll work. Okay, everybody's got to be in stasis, but it'll work. <laughs> yeah, for the drones to have taken up places on every single gate between here and the edge of the galaxy, again, that's got to be a huge network, and they've already had to have been spread out across the galaxy because, obviously, if it's going to take three years to get through the galaxy and then to the next galaxy, that's a lot of distance. It is, yep. Like I say, it does make you wonder if most of the life has been purged from this galaxy. That this war, whatever it was, took place a long time ago. Yeah, it's had to have. I mean, I I think some of the... um, I think they ran across another alien ship that had been attacked by the drones previously, uh, earlier in the season. And I think they even mentioned then, the damage did not look fresh. An interesting find that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, you had them jumping lines between the two ships, jumping out of them. Cool little episode. Was that where Rush actually saved? I mean, uh, Young saved Rush's life. Mm. Was it the way around? I can't th- remember now. I, yeah, it's been a little bit since I've seen that. I need to go through and watch them all again. It, it's. I think I was about halfway through the first season when I stopped my rewatch because I watched something else. I say this is where 
Eli actually, you know, mentions the pods and just, you know, little smirk. Uh, we know it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not going to tell you that uh, Brody got locked in one. Yeah, that, that, we didn't put that in our report. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, poor Brody. Everything happens to Brody. Mm-hmm. Rush is not impressed with this plan. <laughs> well, of course, Rush wants to... Rush gets locked on and, and completely fascinated with the idea of Destiny's original plan. And yeah. he can't see anything else besides that. You know, I love the idea of that, but come on. We've got something bigger that we've got to deal with. We've got to deal with our lives. There comes a point where, as is pointed out, if we don't do something, we might die, but this means the ship will carry on. The mission will carry on. And it may be a millennia before anybody even comes back to Destiny. It might be eons yeah. before it does. But Destiny has lasted this long. It could still be there. Definitely. I must say, this plan doesn't put Destiny under any threat. Going forward against the, the command ships, the drones, does. And I think that ultimately is where Rush concedes. And he, he's told, you know, you've got 24 hours to come up with a better plan. And, well, he doesn't, so... <laughs> no. Right, we have a little hot heart with uh, Camille and Young about the communication stones. Let's make sure everybody gets at least one visit back to Earth to say goodbye, just in case. Definitely. Again, Camille, you weren't meant to like her to begin with. In fact, you know, she'll have to start a mutiny. I always uh, like, um, oh, I've just come blank on her name. Ming-Na Wen. Yeah, Ming-Na Wen. I I've, I've liked her, her acting, and, and she does a really good job here. And even though she had her moments in the series where she butted heads with everybody, she comes across as a, a very strong character and definitely wanted to help unify everybody. Yeah, and, and the very fact that you see it as a much older version of herself in epilogue. Yeah. And you think, yeah, that's it. That was another good one with, with her. She she definitely can portray and, and be the the old leader of everybody. We're in, in the famed corridor full of scientific and maths notations going across all the walls. Uh, Rush has had no luck at all coming up with a, an alternative plan. Chloe comes to him and says, you know, Eli's numbers, they work, they're, they're okay. It's, fi it's fine, it's going to cut it fine, but it's possible. This is where... She, as we've already discussed, she points out that there's the mission, then there's the journey. This mission may fail, but the journey is going to continue. Yeah, and I think, or at least I feel that by this point, they knew that Stargate Universe was coming to an end. It just felt like it, because that right there, you know, it's not the mission, but the journey. It's, I guess, the hope that something will come after, you know, whether it's this or something else, but Stargate will continue, or at least that's kind of what I get from it. Yeah, when you look back, and you, we know they got a 40-episode order based on viewing numbers for the first season. They'd get automatic pick-up for a second. Given that, they must have known that a third season based on the viewing figures was going to be a problem. As you say, there was always a possibility that MGM shows have been kept on air for many reasons other than viewing figures. Oh, definitely, definitely. And sometimes they shouldn't have been kept on air. <laughs> that is right, yeah. So... They gave us a finale that was incredibly satisfying for a fan of the show, while at the same time being open-ended enough and at least not leaving you with a cliffhanger that had you screaming oh, yeah. at the television. If they had done for that, I'm sure they would have had riots. It was bad enough with Atlantis. Yeah, and Paul McGillian, yeah. <laughs> that right there. <laughs> oh. 
We jump to the pods. Varro is the first one that's going in. A farewell to Mike Dopo, who was a very good addition to the second season cast. Mm-hmm. See you soon to TJ. I thought they would have been a great couple, but it wasn't to be. We return to Earth. Eli is visiting his mother. I guess she finally got clearance to be told that, hey, this is actually me, Mom. Fantastic scene when she actually used the communication stones to visit him. Yeah. Not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> the, the relationship between Eli and his mom, and honestly, the relationship between Eli and everybody really drew the show together. You know, because it, it almost feels like, and I'm pretty sure that it was intended this way, that Eli is almost the central character to Destiny. Yeah. You know, as much as we talk about the, uh, like, Star Trek, you know, it's Picard or Kirk or Janeway's, you know, story. And, you know, we, we talk about other people, but they're the central character for everything. You know, and the new one, you know, Burnham being the central character. Eli is by far the central character for Star Universe. If you can't like Eli, then my guess is you're, nev- you're just never going to like the show. Yeah, and I think that's partly why the end of this episode coming up is is one of my one thing one of the one of the reasons I like this episode so much is it does focus so much on Eli here at the end. He has a brilliant scene with his mother, played by Glynis Barber. No, I'm sorry, Glynis Davis. Who's Glynis Barber? I'm not sure on that one. No. <laughs> oh well, never mind. Eli is distraught, as you would expect. He's always seen himself as being the protector of his mother, even yeah. though he spent most of his time playing video games. But he's got other health care she needed. She's doing a lot better. Chances are she's going to have a pretty long life. The drugs are working. He still feels guilty, but as she says, there's nothing unusual about this. Children move on. They live their own lives. Yeah. Every parent has got to face that fact. And she says, are you happy? And he is. Yeah. He's having an experience of the lifetime. It's not going well at the moment. Every experience has its ups and downs, and this one well, currently is a little bit down. Yeah, he had an infatuation with Chloe. He fell in love and lost a woman that he would never have met any other way than being on the ship. Yeah. I'd say that, that didn't end nicely, but again, that's, that's life. It doesn't always end nicely. I'm going to say, ask TJ about that. Ask uh, Park about that. Ask all the people that have died on the expedition, either through accidents or bad luck or violence. Right, we're back at the pods, and surprise, surprise, Brody finds a problem with them. Oh, yes. Brody <laughs> is good at finding problems. He is. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other character that we can equate him to in the rest of Stargate that finds the problems. I mean, maybe Zelinka, and saying, hey, there's a problem. Okay, you're wrong. Hey, here's a problem. Brody's more hands-on, he's more of an engineer than a, a pure theatric, the, theatri- I'm going to say theatrical. <laughs> Theoretical. <laughs> yeah, scientist. Again, though, a great character. Peter Calamus inspired casting. A stand-up comedian, in addition to his acting resume. Again, in epilogue, he was the only one never to get married. He became the old guy who used to sit on his lawn and complain about the kids. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's just inspired. It turns out that eight of the pods are short. They need some palladium hydride as a material to actually repair them. That's going to be difficult to acquire. They find find it a lot in meteorites and comets. So craters, probably the best idea. And for that, they need to get to a planet, use Stargate. That means attacking another command ship. Never ends. Always something else they need. Right, Park and Greer. Who would have thought? Yeah. 
early on, Park we saw was going through the crewman at a steady pace, and she made a connection with Greer and Greer, another one, not a nice character. You know, we initially learn he's, he's in detention prison because of something uh, he did or said to Telford. Incredibly devoted to Young and Scott, an out-and-out soldier. But the more we learn about him, the more you like him. Yeah. And especially the episode where they got trapped on the planet and you find out about his backstory. Yep. I say, Park and Greer together, fantastic couple. Here, though, I don't know. It felt a little contrived that she had the idea of uh, using a decoy shuttle. But maybe not. You know, she was a scientist. Spent a lot of time on the bridge. She knew her way around the ship. She knew how it worked. She knew enough about how the command ship, the command drone ships worked. Yeah. So, yeah, perhaps. Gave the character something to do. Underlined the fact that she wasn't helpless. Her brain, her intellect was always going to be needed on the ship. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Right, they come up with the idea of outfitting a shuttle to jump into a planetary system with one of the command ships. A signal will be broadcast indicating the dialing, the event horizon forming of a, a Stargate. Hopefully the command ship would jump away, then the Destiny would come in, launch its shuttle, last remaining shuttle, thank God they got a spare. Yeah, a pristine one <laughs> at that. Yeah, yep. a reasonable plan. Off they go. They launch the shuttle, send the signal, the command ship jumps, Destiny dials, the drones attack. Excellent CGI point of view from the uh, the shuttle as it flies through the drones. They've also rigged it to uh, detonate in proximity. Yeah, boom, they take out another command ship. Yay! <laughs> These are great ideas, but they only can really do them once. Yeah, yeah, and you'd think that with that they'd have more time to maybe laze around and, and do things, but I guess more drones are on the way. Depending upon how close the next star is, you know, how fast the FTL systems are, they could be here within a couple of hours or a couple of days. They would always be guessing how fast the drone ship is. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think we've actually done much with the mother ship. I'm surprised they didn't take the opportunity to learn a little bit more about the technology of the mother, uh, the command ships whenever they had destroyed that one. Yeah. Right, we get a scene with Scott and Camille. Scott is nervous and pensive about going back and seeing his son. Interesting that I don't think they actually indicate that his former girlfriend was a bad mother. There's nothing I've seen in the show that indicates she's a bad mother. But Camille says, you say the word and we'll get the boy out and into some... I'm trying to remember, did they mention something about whatever line of work or career she was in? Was there something concerned about that at one point? I, I can't remember. Yeah, I think gave her his pay so she wouldn't have... Was she dancing or something? I, I keep thinking dancing, yeah, but I may be remembering um, Independence Day also. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't assume that because because a woman maybe dances or strips that she's a bad mother. You know, yeah. she's feeding the family. So I'm a, I was a bit surprised that Camille says, you know, you say the word and we'll take the kid away. I thought, Jesus. That's a little overreaction there. It is a bit. Into, I mean, talk, talk about, you know, taking the rights away from the woman and giving it to the father. The father didn't even know mm -hmm. he had a kid for God knows how long. <laughs> Her return to Earth isn't even shown. I suppose maybe they couldn't get the, the actress to, to actually, for whatever reason, we get all this in dialogue. Camille actually gets to this point where she's told her better off to forget about her, live her life, carry on, find somebody else, because she, yeah. she may never be back, which is reasonable. 
Yeah, and we've seen the interaction with Camille and her partner several times, so it it's good to focus on some of the other ones that we may not have seen as much. Yeah. And we're back at the pods. Some of the other characters are going in. Barnes and James. We jump to Earth. We see that Scott is actually visiting his son, but he doesn't actually approach him. He just has a look and goes away. Park is in a park. <laughs> Using somebody else's eyes. For this, it works. She's yeah. got her eyesight back. Yeah, just one last, I guess, look at nature and beauty before she is blind again for the next time she uses the stones. Yep. That's got to do a number on your brain going from not being able to see anything to now being able to see, then going back to that. It, it, it's got to do a number on your brain. You've almost got to a physician or psychologist they've got to say, you've got to get used to being blind before you actually use the stones again. Mm-hmm. You've got to understand your limitations and adjust to them. And when you've done that, then you can go back to that benefit the technology has given you. Yeah. It's not only that, it's the person coming the other way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be tough for me if I if I went blind like that because, I mean, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't think any of us do. We can't imagine. Some things you cannot imagine. You can claim, I'd understand how you'd feel, but you can't. You would never be able to understand. Mm-hmm. You close your eyes and try to walk from your living room to your kitchen, you can do it. Do that in a building you're not familiar with. Exactly, yeah. That, and I remember a, a project I had uh, in my creative writing class back in college. You know, they said, all right, take a color and describe that color to a blind person. Oh, 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 right. How do you do that? I mean... If they haven't got a reference... Yeah. Yeah, if they've been blind from birth... How can you describe that? You know, I think I end up picking the color orange because you can, you know, sort of describe it as, as a warm feeling, kind of like the, you know, the, the orange of the sun, you know, the yeah. sun, that warm feeling, you know, that's kind of an easy one. But how would you describe purple or, or blue? You know, it, it's how do you describe that? Again, it, it's something that Universe was willing to actually explore a little that maybe the other Stargate shows weren't. Mm-hmm. Right, Volker, Brody and Park go into the pods and we get the... The dinner scene with the main characters. Yeah, the final supper. Basically, well, you know, uh, if we don't eat it now, it's only going to go to waste. Yeah, I bet they didn't find, like, a set of freezers on the ship somewhere that they could just, like, freeze-dry everything in or just suck it up for later. Yeah, it must be something. Oh, it'll keep for a couple of years at least. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, it's probably just the last of the fresh stuff they've got from various planets. <laughs> Let's see what we can make of it. I have to wonder, you know, because they do like vacuum sealing of stuff, you know, to keep it fresher longer. If they took a room on the ship and just not exposed it to the vacuum of space, but made it a vacuum, would it keep things from deteriorating? Mm. <laughs> I think you'd get the idea. You'd get well. You can't even freeze stuff for extended periods. Yeah, but this isn't. You're not. You're not freezing. You're just well. If in a vacuum, there's there's no oxygen for it. To, but how would you heat it? If it's a vacuum, it's going to be very very cold. I mean, is it cold near the sun? And that's still technically in the vacuum of space. If you put a, a freeze-dried bag of whatever near the sun, it's not going to be freeze-dried for long. I don't know, some type of, I guess, like a radiator to at least just admit enough heat to keep it from being frozen solid. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's not going to have oxygen to... I, I that's just a science theory for another time. I mean, the preserves, you could, you know, if you've got the, the sugar, you can bottle The dry goods stay packed up for a while. Yeah. There'd be a way, but obviously you'd need the time and preparation, and they haven't got. Yeah, we got to do it like now. And again, fantastic scene. You know, young, we're a family now. We've mm-hmm. been through all this together. We've had our ups and downs. We've fallen out. We've come to blows. But right here, right now, 
we're a family with one goal in mind, survival. We've even mutinied against each other, but hey, we're still one. We've, that's forgiven. <laughs> right, we're back at the pods. We're having a... Emil is having a chat with Young. He's finally saying, look, I'm finally going to get some sleep. Three years should be enough. And, you know, again, those two, they're, they're perfectly fine together now. Mm-hmm. They've found a balance where their relationship works. They respect each other now. Respect each other enough, they can laugh together. Yeah. Homeworld Command, uh, Young is back, having a word with Telford. Telford reassures them that, you know, no matter what happens there, we are still going to be looking for alternatives. We're not going to give up on you. Yeah. Then that's the big thing, because, you know, I know if there was... When, when there were theories about possibly coming in for a, a third season, they could put it, you know, even now they could do a third season, you know, with it being five, ten years later, and it can be a completely new cast even, because if it's able to get to them, we have new cast members right there. We have a completely new staff on the ship. Yeah, any cast member they couldn't get didn't survive the pods. Mm-hmm. There is something there, but unfortunately there was something there two or three years ago as well, but uh, nothing really came of it. Yeah. Telford mentions uh, Young's wife. Young points out, look, we're finished. There's no point seeing her. That's done. Which is a very mature way to consider it since uh, Young reacted a little more negatively earlier on. Yeah, Young definitely did not like Telford at all in the beginning of the series. No, for many reasons. Mm -hmm. Beginning with locking his Master Sergeant up and then actually trying to get the command of Icarus Base. All sorts of reasons. Those two were at it, hammer and tongs. Yeah, it's good to see that they actually finally come up to a a decent relationship, and I I think it's because of Telford's time on the Destiny. Until you've experienced it, you think, you know, oh, I could do that job, and then you think, no. (laughs) The only way to do that job is to be dropped in it with no way out. Yeah. You're forced to compromise, to make decisions that are going to make people suffer, and that is what Jung has done. And he went through the grinder. At oh, one yeah. point, he was drink. He was draining the still faster than Brody could produce, <laughs> produce the damn stuff. And of course, we've still got the bad news. More bad news. More bad news. Yep, those eight pods, they got them fixed. They got the material from craters on the planet, refined it, fixed those pods. Unfortunately, the full testing cycle wasn't completed on all of them. And when, it, when one of them was fired up, it got an error. So out of the three pods remaining, only two are working Yay, so now we have to determine who's going to die. Yep. Rush, come on, Colonel, we have to talk. Away from the young man. Yeah, you know that Rush immediately at this point is going to not do what the Colonel wants and going to do everything he can to keep the mission going. And Young is completely right in what he does and has Eli do it. It was some fantastic writing for those three characters. Mm -hmm. It's based on everything we know about them. Rush, I'll do it knowing that Young doesn't trust him. Yeah, still. He can work with him, and he'll trust him about a lot of day-to-day stuff, but when it comes to certain key decisions, he's always going to have that big question mark. Yeah. And Rush volunteering to maybe sacrifice himself for the good of the crew, that doesn't fit. Yeah, that would throw up a red flag in anybody's book. And so Young, I'll do it, which is totally in character. Yeah. Young is a self-sacrificing individual. He would do that to save everybody else. Yeah, but as Eli then steps up, he is the smartest person on that ship, and he is saying it now. Yeah. I know I'm the smartest. I'm saying it. <laughs> I'm not yeah, if, afraid if to say it. If anybody can fix this, I can. Yeah. I'll stay away. 
I'll, I'll have X amount of time to fix it before the ship's energy reaches a critical point. And if that's it, you can trust me to do the right thing. And the yeah. only thing you can say is that that's exactly what Jung wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. He is as manipulative as Rush. He always has been. Yeah. But he he does it in a way that he still cares for the individual, unlike Rush. Rush is like, yeah, I'm going to manipulate it. I don't care what the heck happens to you, but I'm going to manipulate to do what I want. I think Rush totally likes Eli, likes working with him, respects him for who he is and what he's become. He's probably never been as proud of Eli as he is right at that moment. Yeah. That is almost the level of courage, duty that he'd expect from Scott O'Greer. Yeah. And this is a young civilian doing it. And you've got to say, if anybody can fix it, it will be Eli. Mm-hmm. And this is why I really wanted more, you know. Did they come out with books after the uh, series came out that follows up on it? We've got the comic series. Pity we didn't get any novels, but I suppose, again, MGM would say we're not, no point in licensing it because the audience isn't there for it. Yeah, but it's got a fun. I, I, I didn't really care for Universe when it first came out, but going back it in a second time and watching it later... I appreciated it so much more. So it's one of those that at first didn't have the audience, but I think the audience grew after it came out. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it first time around. Now watching it as it was being broadcast, I really enjoyed it the second time around. Yeah. That was actually, you know, more binge watching. I wouldn't have to wait two years for 40 episodes. Or, yeah, um, half a year between the mid-season break. Yeah. Right, we get another great scene between Rush and Eli. (laughs) Even Rush admits, you know, we do have a bit of a history, him and Young. So he admits he knew how Young was going to react. Yeah. Two of them, a bit of sparring between them again. But I think I think Rush, Rush is honest here as well. He respects Eli for the decisions he's making for the man he's become. Even Eli, you know, not bad for a video game slacker. Because is that what it was? He, he started down playing video games. Yeah. I mean, we see the start of the series, or start of the, yeah, start of the series with him playing the Stargate game. We're back at the pods. Rush is going in first. I love the fact that he calls him Mr. Wallace. I guess he's finally seeing him no longer as an adolescent or as a kid, but actually as a man. This is his official rite of passage. There isn't many people that Rush would consider a peer. At this Mm -hmm. point, Eli is one of them. Yeah, because I don't even think he considered, like, Brody or... um, Volker. uh, Volker, you know, colleague, (laughs) really. Definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not. You know, Rush is very straightforward. If he doesn't respect you or respect your abilities, he's not very nice to you. Mm-hmm. And even people he, he does acknowledge that they can contribute, he's still not very nice to them either. No, not at all. He's, he's not a very nice character at all, but damn, he's a great character. Yeah, and he's a very endearing character at that. Robert Carlyle, again, I'm going to praise the casting. Getting Robert Carlyle was a fantastic decision. Yeah. I think he said, he, you know, he'd never really done a, a science fiction show before. So that was something new to him. And, of course, after this, he went on to Once Upon a Time and created Mr. Gold and Rumpelstiltskin. Don't matter what you think about the show, those great character creations again. Definitely. I, I do agree. I liked him in that series myself. I say, Eli, at this point, he's never been more sure of anything in his life. Yeah. Young is in the pods now, so that leaves Eli... We get some more of the phenomenal Joel Goldsmith music. Yeah, very serene, almost contemplative piece of music as you see the ship shutting down. Yep, Eli just alone. It's basically the opening scene that we see of Destiny, but in reverse. 
as each of the levels shuts down, various systems shuts down. It's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then you just have him standing there on the observation deck. It is, yeah. You, you see the camera through the doorway, you see the hyperspace observation deck that's been the centre of so much of the show. He's in silhouette. It doesn't end there. Camera spins around, you see his face, he's gazing off into the distance. The whole universe is in front of him. And you get that just that little smile. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a smile of everything's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be alright. Don't know how yet, but I know I'm gonna be alright. Yeah. That ending right there just it tugs at me for some reason. It makes me again feel that, hey, we're not over. You know, we are a dreamer. We will keep dreaming for more and better. And and again, by this point they had to have known that they were not gonna make any more, so they put in as much, you know, pow into the very ending scene. Yep, the final scene, we see a shot of Destiny flying off into the distance. A fitting ending for the cast and the crew of Stargate Universe. Yeah. Disappointing, but... <laughs> Disappointing, yeah, that we didn't have more. I mean, we, I would have so loved to have seen this continue on, continue on, but it did, like Stargate SG-1 and like Atlantis, give us a, hey, the story's going to continue. Now it's kind of a, up to you how it's going to continue. Yep. SG-1 ends with them going back through the gate as this is how we're supposed to travel. You know, Atlantis, hey, we're now here on Earth, but we've got all these new options that we can do things with. Yeah, disappointing that we didn't get the Atlantis movie. Would have been yeah. more fitting end. Might have taken the sting out of some of the uh, the fan backlash against the cancellation and the announcement of Universe, which a lot of people thought were tied together, which they weren't. Yeah, I wish they'd done that movie I enjoyed the heck out of Continuum, and I enjoyed the heck out of Arc of Truth, but we should have had something to better wrap up SGA. Yeah, unlike SG-1 and Universe, that did feel like a bit of a rushed ending. Mm-hmm. That's for a different show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, Stargate Universe Gauntlet. Phenomenal finale, great episode as it stands by itself. I enjoyed watching it just by itself. How many finales can you say that? Yeah. I said that definitely with SG-1 finale, because I, I enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Although, a lot, to be fair, a lot of people don't like the final two seasons, because of a certain missing character. Yeah, RDA did do a lot for SG-1, I, I will agree. But I think Ben Browder did a good job with Mitchell. Yeah, they tried to mix it up a bit. I consider it worked, and, you know, there's plenty of very good episodes from those final two seasons. Yeah. Overall, you know, the three series of live-action Stargate, they're all brilliant. I will watch any one of them any time. SG-1, Push Comes to Shove has got to be my favourite because of Richard Dean Anderson. Yes. Out of ten seasons, you're going to find 90% are good, solid sci-fi. What was that episode? Let's see, we had Ergo, we had... What was the second episode of the series again? Emancipation. Yeah, Emancipation, that just, yeah... (laughs) Definitely wasn't one of their finest. <laughs> Atlantis hit the ground running. I think probably, percentage-wise, had probably fewer weak episodes than SG-1. Definitely. They benefited from having a crew that knew what they were doing right from day one. And they benefited well from knowing a equation that worked really well. And, and that's where Universe got off, is they decided to go with a new formula, a new equation. Yeah, because it was in the big era of Lost and Battlestar Galactica. You know, we went through so much darker, more uh, serialized you know, TV series, a much more uh, soap opera style, and it kind of bit them in the butt at the beginning. 
Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I can un- totally understand why the writers, producers wanted to do something different. They most of them have been working on SG One on an Atlantis for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, and you think, right, uh, is is a budget to do another show within the Stargate franchise? And I imagine the MGM suits would say, you know, something like you're doing already. Maybe some new characters, and maybe spin it off a bit if you want. We're good for that. But then, you know, you think the writers are thinking, well, can we do something a little bit different? Can we try to change tack a bit? I, my guess is, as you said, the success of Battlestar probably convinced MGM that, yeah, we'll give this a go. And credit to MGM for saying to them, there's your money for 20 episodes. You hit that audience figure, yep. we'll give you another automatic pickup for a second season. That and sci fi channel at that time was plagued with bad decisions. <laughs> you know, yeah. moving wrestling onto the, the channel and then having sci-fi friday no more so we moved it to what tuesday or thursday i, I can't remember and you put it on in conflict with a lot of mainline tv series you know and primetime tv shows on the networks so you started having a lot of conflicting schedules there and that i think greatly equated to a lot of the drop in viewers we see now shows are getting incredible budgets based on the fact that who knows what Netflix isn't saying anything. Amazon really isn't saying anything. I'm pretty sure Disney Plus won't be saying what their audience figures are. Oh, no. But so many shows that would have failed are getting picked up or carried over now because they're factoring in the fact that people watching by apps, CW shows, how many people watch the CW shows by the app the next day? Yeah. Yeah, it's not about what you watch that day. It's what you watch in the days after. Yeah. You know, what do people binge watch whenever the, something is done? Because, I mean, I'll say it. I didn't watch some of, like, Game of Thrones right when it was coming out. I binge watched it later when I could watch it all together. I only hope that we don't end up with a dozen streaming services each expecting you to cough up 7 to $10. We're already halfway there. You've got Hulu. You've got Netflix. You've got Amazon. You've got Disney. You've got HBO. I mean, it it's going there. Yep. Thank you very much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Indeed it is. It's good to hear from you and good to be back on the show. Excellent. I probably will get in touch next time I'm off as well. Sounds good. (laughs) I'll definitely see what I can do and maybe see if I can take a day off so I can do it a little bit earlier in the day so you're not staying up all night. Well, like I say, if I don't have to get up, I don't mind. Yeah. Okay, folks, if you want to get in touch with me or even better, you want to be on the show, please feel free to uh, contact me. StargateArchives.com is a website. website. StargateArchives at gmail.com is the email. We are on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play. You can also find us on Facebook and Tumblr. Oh, and Apple Podcasts, of course. Don't forget Apple yes. Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so feel free. If you want to be on the show, all I need you to do is pick an episode and be able to use Skype and we can have a chat for an hour or so. Very easy, very simple to do. Isn't it, Thomas? It is, very indeed. <laughs> Especially these days. It's not like the old days where we used to, oh, you don't really want to know the hoops we had to jump through to get this sort of thing working. It used to be a lot more whenever we first did Gatecast back in the day, but it's a lot easier now. Yep, it is. Okay then, folks, until next time, I've been Mike. And Thomas. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.